Hey, Edith. Hey, Christy. Why did the vampire need mouthwash? I don't know. Because he had bat breath. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like that one. Oh, that's good. Hello. I'm Creepy Christy. And I'm Eerie Edith. We're backyard garden ghosts from Colorado. And nightmare neighbors. And fright friends. I became a garden ghost when I bent over to weed the front flower bed and a passing motorist lost control of the wheel. Careful with your choices on Naked Gardening Day. And I became a garden ghost when I bought a hybrid Venus flytrap slash cabbage from a stranger in a back alley during a total eclipse of the sun. It needed blood to survive. Turns out it was my blood. (laughs) Oh, Oh, well. These days, Halloween specials have gotten very popular. And we've noticed more and more people picking our brains. Brains. For tricks and treats about Halloween. So welcome to the Upside Down Tulips Halloween Special. A fun podcast that celebrates gardening and Halloween. Gone wrong. Upside down. So we're sitting here with our eyes closed and we're about to reveal our Halloween costumes. Are you ready, Edith? I'm ready, Christy. Are you ready? Yep. On the count of three, open your eyes. Okay. One, two, three. Did you get it? Yes, you're the. If I'm correct, you are um, the neighbor behind the fence on uh, the Tim Allen show. Yes, and you, you're Silence of the Lambs, FBI Clarice. Yes. Now Edith has on. She has on a plaid shirt and a hat, and she has on a fence prop. I made a fence. I made this. That's so awesome. I made it, and you have a lamb in your hand. Yes. And a moth over your mouth. And an FBI. You went all out, Christy. An FBI tag. You have an FBI tag and everything. Can you believe that we're doing this? We really are doing this, closing eyes and everything, folks, even though this is not visual. Even though you can't see us. (laughs) This is what we do. Happy Halloween, Eden. Happy Halloween, Christy. Happy Halloween, everybody. Oh, don't you love that new music from Denise Gentilini? It's for fantastic. Our, she did with oh, our open. I love it. She's the best. She's the best. We now have Christmas music and we have Halloween music. Yes. And our regular music, the theme that runs through it all. And St. Patrick's Day music. <gasps> yes. Oh, I love that. That Irish jig-like. <laughs> Wait till you see what she's going to do for Arbor Day. <laughs> <laughs> So this year for our Halloween special, we're going to give everybody some stories. Some stories we did before and some brand new stories from other people. And we have some very scary and spooky pod plays. And we have some funny stories and some kind of touching stories. So let's jump into it. Folks, if you want to know why I've been traumatized my whole life, 
Here's my story about a movie I saw when I was a little kid. Okay, Edith. Yeah? Journey with me back to the 1970s. Okay. Where I grew up in Minneapolis with my two brothers and my little sister and our mother. She raised us all by herself. She was beautiful and funny, and boy, was she tired. And this was in the days of free-range kids. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where we just ran everywhere across the neighborhood. We came home when our mothers called us or the streetlights came on. Yeah. Good. Uh-huh. It was also the days of the Camden Movie Theater in North Minneapolis. And this was one of those old-fashioned movie theaters that are very different than today. Mm-hmm. You know, it just had one screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would show some matinees and then movies in the evenings. Uh, you could smoke in the movie theater. Oh, wow. I remember those days. And you could um, you could actually stay and watch the movie again and again, and nobody would ever kick you out. Wow. So one Halloween time, my brother and some neighborhood kids had this idea that we would all gather together and go to the movie theater. And for us, we were... Going to the movie theater was a big deal. Uh huh. We didn't go very often, and the fact that my mom let us go was a real big deal. Though I think she probably wanted the afternoon off. Uh huh. Probably. Really yeah. Don't blame yeah, her, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, my brother Monty, who we think was about twelve, and my brother Joey, who was eleven, I think I was nine, and maybe another handful of kids. We all went to the Camden Theater to see the movie Flipper. Mm hmm. Do you remember that? Mm hmm. But the dolphin, huh? Yeah, the dolphin movie, yeah. yeah. And uh, we liked it so much that my brother called my mom and asked if we could watch it again. And she said, sure. My mom was probably like, yes, yeah. get out of the house, kids, right? Uh-huh. So we watched it again. And my brother was saying that we just had the run of this movie theater, all this. So maybe there were like six or seven of us kids just running around watching the movie. And then my, we had, were having such a good time that my mom let us watch it a third time. Wow. Now, I don't remember much about the movie Flipper. You would think I would because I, I saw it so many times that uh -huh. day. But the third movie was not Flipper, Edith. What was it? The third movie that night was Night of the Living Dead. <gasps> oh, you, you were how old? Nine? Nine. <laughs> I was nine years old. Man. And, of course, for folks, you know, who are out there, this is the story that follows a group of people trapped in a farmhouse, and they're under assault of an enlarging group of cannibalistic, uh -huh. undead corpses, a.k.a. zombies. Were you scared? Well, I tell you, this movie was not rated, Edith, at the time. Uh-huh. In fact, it was technically a rated X movie, not for nudity, but for the violence of it. Oh. So, yeah, it was very scary for a nine-year-old Christy. Um, still have very strong, vivid memories about it. And, of course, now we laugh about it. And I don't uh -huh. think I was, I don't think it was harmed in any way. I don't uh -huh. know. Maybe uh -huh. that's for another, maybe that's for another day. But I do have very strong memories of being very scared. The, the scene I remember the most was the little girl who was bitten and she was, you know, not doing very well. And she was down in the basement. And her mom comes down to try to take care of her, but she had already turned into a zombie. She turns and she has this garden spade. 
hey, we got gardening in. Hey. <laughs> Has this gardening spade, and then she attacks her mother with it. It was very scary. Oh, that must have been, okay, that's a little traumatic yeah. when you're nine, I think. And I have a couple other things I'll say about it, which is, one, there was a woman sitting near me or next to me who had this, like, fake strawberry lip gloss on or perfume. Yeah. So to this day, whenever I smell that fake strawberry smell, love real strawberries, but uh-huh. you know that chemically, artificially smell. Yeah. strawberry smell, uh-huh. I get a little nauseous wow. from it. Now, here's the kicker in it is that we lived in the Camden-Weber neighborhood of Minneapolis, and it was about a half a mile that we walked home, the six or eight of us kids, Uh in the dark, and we had to walk by Crystal Cemetery. No kidding. Which is one of the beautiful, one of the oldest cemeteries, I think, in the state of Minnesota, but scary Uh to see a zombie movie. Of course, And have to walk by a cemetery. And thanks to my brother, Monty, for helping me fill in some of the memories. Nice. Oh, nice. In a world in the north of the country, a man and his wife buy a house and for the first time ever, plant a garden. They'd never been happier. The flowers, the vegetables, the sunshine. But suddenly, without warning, It was September. Darling, where are you going? Out to the garden. What are you doing with those carrot seeds? I'm going to do another fall planting. Oh, John, no. It's too late. It's far too late for planting. We're zone 3B. Everything will just die. It's not too late. Hello, little garden. Here's Johnny. Darling, the sun is almost down. I don't like it out here in the dark. What was that? Bats looking for food. The insects are dead because it's fall, Johnny. Please, please, just put the garden fork down and come inside. I'm planting these, Betty, and you can't stop me. The bats, they're in my head. They're just looking for food, Betty. Help, help me. I have to finish planting these before it gets too dark to see. I am not wasting these seeds. They're heirlooms. Damn it. Where did that seed go? Darling, would you bring me a flashlight? Never mind, Betty. I've got one in the shed. Johnny! From an innocent summer idol to the emptiness, the darkness, the terror of... The Killing Frost. Not appropriate for Zones 11 and up. The Killing Frost. Coming to a garden near you. The next uh, story is one that is one of those things where it's funny now and it was horrifying then. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a great story. Here we go. After college, um, I became part of the Market District Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It across Right across the street was the kind of famous farmer's market where the Amish and Mennonites would come and sell their stuff. We did stuff like Ionesco at night, but we had a children's theater called the Jack Pudding Players, and we did that in the morning, Friday and Saturday morning. So uh, we were doing, it was right around Halloween, and we were doing Sleeping Beauty. 
And I was cast as the villain, the evil fairy. Oh, yeah, that's a good part. It's a wonderful... Well, I never get to play villains. So I thought, I am going to dig so deep, and I am going to be so evil. And we costumed ourselves always from the thrift store. So I had all this stuff. I looked more like a witch, I guess, than a bad fairy. So we're... It, it was a small theater. Um, the kids sat on little rug samples. We mm. didn't even have a stage. Really tiny theater, but very popular with the kids. In fact, mothers would come and drop their kids off mm. another time, right, while yeah. they went to the market. Yeah. So there we are. I come on. I, I hear my cue, and I come out, and I'm like, be evil, be evil, be evil. And I put Carol, who was playing Sleeping Beauty, I put her to sleep. And I turned to the kids, and I just gave out like this victorious, evil howl. And I said something like, now she will sleep forever, like that. (laughs) From the back of the theater, I hear a scream. A little girl, five or six, I hear this loud scream, and she runs out of the theater. And no one follows her. So I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And no grown-up by her. No grown-up. The the grown-up that should have been in the box office, I guess, was in the bathroom. (laughs) So this little girl runs out of the theater. Well, there I am on stage, and I'm like, I look at Carol, who's like half opening her eyes to see. She can't get up. I just put her to sleep forever. Mm -hmm. The men are behind the set. They don't know what's going on. So I go after the little girl. You're I, chasing the in your little, costume. I didn't, I forgot I had my costume on. And I'm running down the street calling her, little girl, little girl, I'm just <laughs> a person. And then I realize I have a wig, I have a hat, I have all this stuff on. So I start taking it off. Now I'm running down the street in a wig cap and like a witch's costume and a wig cap. And I finally catch up with her. And I said, look, look at me. I'm not. Look, see, this was a wig. And I show her the wig. And I show, I'll pretend. I'll pretend. I'll pretend. Come on. And I take her hand and we go back to the theater. And I had to sit with her until my next cue because finally I gained her trust. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Oh, my gosh. But I learned a really good lesson. When you do theater for children, you have to add some humor to the villainy. You don't go doing, you know, the deep stuff. That's a really good point. Isn't that a good point? And strangely enough, Edith, yeah. when I first started directing plays, one of the first gigs I ever got that I got paid for was a production of Sleeping Beauty. Really? And my my brother, Monty, and uh-huh. his daughter at the time came up to see the play, and the evil fairy scared her so much that we had to, she was petrified that the only thing that would calm her down was to show to have her meet the actor out of costume. Wow. Because kids believe everything. They yeah. totally believe that I was this evil, evil thing. And it just shows you what a great job, what a good actor you are too, Edith. And how misguided as well. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to GCM, Gardner's Classic Movies. Previously on The Silence of the Lamb's Ear. Special Agent Jackie Awkward? Yes, I am Special Agent Jackie Awkward. And you must be Cherise Sparrow. Sorry to pull you off the compost pile at such short notice. This is awkward. However, your instructors tell me you're doing well. I hope so. 
They haven't posted any grades yet. Awkward. A job's come up and I thought about you. Not a job, really. More of an interesting errand. I remember you from my seminar at the Botanic Gardens. You grilled me pretty hard, as I recall, on the garden's environmental rights record in the Bush years. I gave you an A. A minus, ma'am. How awkward. Double major, agriculture and criminology. It says when you graduate, you want to work for me in behavioral food preservation science. Yes, very much, ma'am, very much. We're interviewing all serial botulists now in custody for a preservationist behavioral profile. Could be a real help in unsolved cases. Most of them have been happy to talk to us. Do you spook easily, Sparrow? Not yet, ma'am. See, the one we want most refuses to cooperate. I want you to go after him again today in the Arboretum. Who's the subject? The food preservationist, Cannibal Pecton. Cannibal? He eats people? No. can a bull, As in able to can. How awkward. Have your memo on my desk by Wednesday. Excuse me, ma'am, but why the urgency? Is there some connection between him and Broccoli Bill, the mysterious man who murders vegetables and skins them so he can make a broccoli suit for himself? I wish there were. Awkward. Now, I want your full attention, Sparrow. Yes, ma'am. Be very careful with Cannibal Pecton. We return to Somewhere Awkwardly in the middle of GCM's The Silence of the Lamb's Ear. Skipping several scenes and getting to the good stuff. Dr. Pecton. No, it's your turn to tell me, Cherise. Quid pro quo. Why did you leave that garden? Dr. Pecton, we don't have any more time for any of this now. Edith's life's in danger. No, I will listen now. After your father's food poisoning, you were orphaned. You went to live with cousins at a xeroscopic garden in Colorado. And? And one morning I just ran away. Not just, Cherise. What set you off? You started at what time? Early. Still dark. And then something woke you, didn't it? Was it a dream? What was it? I heard a strange noise. What was it? It was spreading. Some kind of spreading. What did you do? I went downstairs. Outside. I crept into the garden. I was so scared to look, but I had to. What did you see, Cherise? What did you see? Lamb's ear. They were spreading. They were ripping up the spring lamb's ear. They were spreading. And you ran away? Yes. I took one clump and I ran away as fast as I could. Where were you going, Cherise? I don't know. I didn't have any well-drained soil or mulch and it was very cold. Very cold. I thought, I thought if I could just save one clump, but it was so heavy, soft, but heavy. I didn't get more than a few miles. The gardener was so angry. He sent me to live at the orphanage in Pueblo. I never saw the garden again. What became of your lambs here, Cherise? He killed it. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? Wake up in the dark and hear the spreading of the lamb's ear. Yes. And you think 
If you could save poor Edith, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Edith lives, you won't have to wake up in the dark ever again to that awful spreading of the lamb's ear. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you, Sharif. Thank you. Who's Broccoli Bill? It's your turn, Doctor. Tell me who. Brave Sharif. You will let me know when those lamb's ears stop spreading, won't you? Tell me his name, Doctor. Goodbye, Cherise. Halloween, you don't really think of snow. But here's what happened to me in 1991. Well, that's because you're from Minnesota. Don't you know? Don't you know? It's 1991. Uh-huh. And I am newly married. I just graduated from undergrad at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and I was directing a show. And this was the year that all the rage for Halloween were these giant leaf bags that were orange that oh. had giant jack-o'-lantern faces on them. So clever. I remember those. So, so that when clever. you put your leaves inside, uh-huh. it looked like a giant jack-o'-lantern. Yes. They, they first come on. Everybody had them. This was also the same week, this Halloween week, on October 30th, that had the perfect storm from the East Coast of the United States that was depicted in the book by Sebastian Younger, The Perfect Storm, mm-hmm. with the movie with George Clooney. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, remember, weather predictions were different then, and they weren't as accurate. So this Halloween, the day before, was the perfect storm uh-huh. on the East Coast. The day in Duluth, Minnesota, began as rain. And then it quickly changed to freezing rain. And by one o'clock, it was snowing in Duluth so on you Halloween. Had, you had ice under the snow. And snow. Uh-huh. Now, snow and cold weather is not uncommon uh-huh. for Halloween in Minnesota. Yeah. I spent I many memories of wearing snowmobile suits, trick-or-treating uh-huh. as a kid. However, this was different. Because that snow... That started at 1 p.m. on October 31st did not end until 1 p.m. on November 3rd. Oh, come on. Wow. Meaning that the snow fell continuously for 72 hours and sometimes two inches an hour. So it snowed for 72 hours with a total of 37 inches at the Duluth Airport and 45 inches across the bay in Superior, Wisconsin. Wow. Now, here are two interesting things about this. Okay. Is one, kids still (laughs) trick-or-treated. Of course they did. I'm showing you a picture of one. Here's like people digging out of the snow. Oh, look at that. And then below that, there are kids who are trick-or-treating in the snow. Here's another picture. Look at this kid. I think you can't even tell what they're wearing, their costumes were because they, um, but maybe they were ballerinas with winter coats on. I can't tell. And the jack-o'-lanterns are all covered oh, in, love that in snow. That's beautiful. And every kid that came to my house uh-huh. got two Snicker bars. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then when it starts to snow in Minnesota, once you get a big snow, you know, it's just there. Oh, it's there for the rest of for the months, right? And for the whole time. So eventually, of course, we got more and more snow and you know, they're scooping up, digging it away, trying to... It was just a terrible long winter, especially when it starts October 31st. Like, yeah. there you are. Yeah. But finally, of course, 
The snow started to melt in the spring. Yeah. And what was revealed were all those leaf bags <laughs> that people had stuffed because they were all covered with snow for four months. That's a lot of snow to cover yeah. the leaf bag. Wow. An incredible, strange Halloween in and Minnesota, they, see, 1991. They, they made leaf mold. They exactly they made right. leaf mold wrapping around the gardening. <laughs> This next story comes from one of our listeners, Stephanie Williams from Arvada. Take it away, Christy. In 1985, there was this adorable little girl going on her very first Halloween trick-or-treat adventure. She was so excited because her costume was fantastic, and she was sure no one would ever recognize her. She felt like 007, fully disguised as an angel going on a mission for candy. Everything was going fine until she got to the first house. They instantly recognized her and said hi and called her by her name. How could this have happened, she thought. The whole point of a costume is that people can't recognize you. It only got worse with the more houses she went to, everybody saying hi and calling her by name. She was so disappointed about being recognized that the only thing that could console her was a bucket full of candy, which at that point, luckily, she had. A few years later, that Halloween night popped into her head, and all at once she understood. Maybe it's because I'm in a wheelchair and all the neighbors recognized my chair. So her next mission was not for candy. It was a longing to open her own business making Halloween costumes not for people, but for wheelchairs. So then you could be a witch on a bus or a zombie in a Maserati. Wheelchairs should never get to ruin the mystery of who's behind the costume on Halloween for the people who can't walk. Thank you, Stephanie. I love that. Such a, such a sweet story. She should go on Shark Tank. That's a great idea for a business. Oh my gosh, that really is. You know, you forget. The older you get, you forget the total innocence and suspension of disbelief of children. Love it, yeah. So now I'm going to be a better host on Halloween night when I hand out candy. I'm going to always go, this? oh my gosh, who could this be? <laughs> is it even human? <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. That's great. It's the last week of October, Halloween week. From sea to shining sea, many gardens have been laid to rest. Meet Edith and Christy, backyard gardeners from Colorado, putting their gardens away for the winter. Christy, it's dark already. Can we finish this tomorrow? Just help me mulch, and then let's go in for apple cider. I really appreciate your help, Edith. Is that a wolf howling? It sounds like it. Wolves in Wheat Ridge? Well, that's new. Yeah, maybe we should finish this tomorrow. Oh my gourd, what was that? I'm not sure, but it's right behind you, Christy. Let's run. I can't. Something is breathing down my neck. I'm so scared I can't move. Christy. It's a headless man on a horse. I need a egg. I think I just peed myself a little. I just peed myself a lot. I need a egg. He doesn't have a head. He needs a head. How can he talk without a mouth? How can he even talk? And how can he be alive? He doesn't have a head. <gasps> Christy, do you know who this is? I think I do. I thought it was just a legend. Right. 
The legend of Sleepy Hollow. It's Ichabod Grain, the gardening ghost. And he needs a head. Give him your pumpkin. No, it's my last pumpkin. The squirrel's got the other ones. Are you insane? Give him the stupid pumpkin. Okay, but I turned it into a smiley jack-o'-lantern. He doesn't want it now. He doesn't like the face you carved. The horse said nay, too. (laughs) Not the time for your puns, Christy. We're screwed, aren't we? Maybe not. Christy, I see a giant zucchini hiding under your plant here. Maybe Ichabod Grain will take the zucchini to use for a head instead of a pumpkin. Ichabod? Mr. Grain? Sorry about your head. How about this giant zucchini? Did you know, Ichabod, that everyone in Hollywood has a really big head? Because it photographs so well. I mean, look at Tom Cruise. Really big head. Tiny body. Big head. Ichabod Grain was born in the 1700s, Edith. He doesn't know who Tom Cruise is. Yes, Mission Impossible. Risky Business. Top Gun. So, doesn't this zucchini look like Tom Cruise, Christy? Yes, Edith, that looks almost exactly like Tom Cruise. Here you go. That was close. Yeah. Whew. Never garden after dark on Halloween, I'm thinking. Let's go inside for some apple cider. I think I need something stronger. I'll heat it up and add cinnamon. Perfect. Some legends never die. And some are so much more than legends. Go inside, gardeners. You've earned your rest. Happy Halloween. The next story is an absolutely true story. So good that we did it last year. We're telling it again. True story, the haunted Fordney Mansion story. At the same time that we were, I was working at the Market District Theater, two actors, David and Harry and I, moved into what was called the Fordney House in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It was, half of it was, not half, a third of it was built in the 1700s and it had electricity. Two-thirds of it was built in the 1800s, and it didn't even have electricity. Mm. I found out later that it was built by a man named Melchior Fordney, one of the best gunsmiths of his time. And one day when he and his wife were in the shop, a crazy person with an axe came and hacked them to death. I didn't know that when we moved into the, into this Fordney mansion. So we only with lived... With an axe? With an axe. Why is it always with an axe? I think there were less tools. And what can you do with like a hoe? It's just harder yeah. to do it with a hoe, you know? Yeah. So we lived in only, we only stayed in the smaller part of the house with electricity. One time we walked through the other part and Christy, it was dusty and dirty and cobwebby and scary and old, old, old newspapers hanging around on the floor. It was filthy. And the bartender where I worked part-time told me he had a great uncle that had hung himself Within about a week of living there, we started hearing the sounds, pounding sounds, knocking sounds. Oh, my goodness. Rustling sounds. Oh, no. And we'd go and answer the door, and nobody would be there ever. 
So after a while, we kind of got used to it, you know? I'm like, oh, okay, that's not so terrible. To get into the um, newer, unelectrified part of the house, there was a gigantic ballroom, like as big as like a Southern Mansion ballroom. Wow. And um, David was in there one time with our dog, Loki, and he swears that he saw a face looking through the pocket doors. And the dog went crazy. So the first thing Dogs David... know. Yeah, they know. Well, the first thing David did was go check the front door, which was locked. So nobody was in the house. He, and he said, come on, Loki. And he went to go through the threshold, and the dog would not go. So he didn't go either. Smart. About a week after that, we were rehearsing in the ballroom. Mm-hmm. In the other room, we uh, left the dog in the other room. And all of a sudden... We're in the ballroom rehearsing. It was getting to be dusk. We heard the dog just go crazy, howling in a way that I have never heard that sounds coming out of that dog. We rush into the room where the dog is. There was a conga drum. You know, conga drums are what, like three, four feet high? Uh Uh-huh. That was lying on its side. It had had a cup of coffee on it that was half full. The cup was on the ground next to the drum, unspilled. Not a drop was spilled. Yes, honestly. The dog was as far away as he could get, crushed into a corner, just whimpering, just terrified, the hair straight up. Well, we were like, well, wow, okay, huh, you know. <laughs> that's how, it's that hard was, for your brain to process strange it, things pl- like plus that. Plus, when you're really, really young, you just assume, well, it's not going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably just trying to, you know, mess with my nerves. Then we get an eviction notice because a society wanted to change, cosmetically uh, fix up the old part of the house. When we got that letter, the pounding, the knocking, everything intensified. And one night we were saying, you know, I wonder if the ghost is angry. Let's ask it. So we wrote a note that said, how do you feel about these women coming in and taking your home away? We left the note on the the, the stairs, you know, on, on the stairs halfway up uh-huh. into the old on part. On the landing. The, on the landing, uh-huh. yeah, on the landing into the unelectric part of the house. We left the pencil on top of it. We went to bed. We come down the next morning. The note had been ripped in half. The pencil was broken and it was at different parts of the room. And the wallpaper had been torn off the walls. Wow. No kidding. That's your answer. Yeah. And we, we, we all looked at each other and went, did, did you do this? Did you get up in the middle of the night? Because we were all up late, you know. Mm-hmm. No. We were all like ashen white, you know. You could you could tell if somebody was faking it. You can yeah. well, yeah. We were all actors, and we know when another actor's not being <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, you yeah. know. But that is my true to life. Ghost I've story. got chills. That is frightening. This day, the, to this day, that whatever they did, the society did not work out. They were going to have people walk through and charge them. Today, it is a home for the homeless. Ooh, the same mansion. They did fix it up, and they're now housing homeless people. 
Which is a good thing, unless That's, they're being haunted. Yeah. We, <laughs> we'll just say the ghost is happy too. Let's just say that. Let's yeah. just say it had a happy oh. ending. Oh, Edith, good job. That's a great story. It's a true story. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Wow. I guess when you're young, you know, you don't really believe in malevolent beings, malevolent gods. You don't. You, yeah. You just think you're going you're gonna to make it. Now, that's, you know, probably an error of youth, but we were young. So, you know. Here's a new Halloween story from one of our listeners, Doug from Tennessee. Decades ago, three of my volunteer friends from the Crisis Intervention Center and I were invited to a Halloween costume party. We were sitting around complaining about our inability to costume ourselves properly due to a lack of money. Then someone said, why don't we just tie ourselves together and go as an octopus? And we all started thinking, hmm. So we pooled our resources together and found that we had nearly $5 between us. Someone said they'd donate an old bedsheet. We bought a packet of gray writ dye and a cheap set of fabric paints. After dyeing the sheet, we all got together and stood back to back while a friend draped the sheet over us all and then marked out circles on it where our shoulders were. We cut holes at those points, cut and seamed the sheet around knee level for everyone, and made sleeves from the leftover sheet material that extended beyond our hands. I painted a Casper the Friendly ghost-style face on one side of the sheet and pink suckers down the bottom of each sleeve, then the sleeves were attached to the shoulder holes. We tied ourselves together with a short length of rope and practiced walking, one person forward, two person shuffling sideways, and one walking backward. <laughs> I would not want to be the person walking backward. Either. No. The night of the party, we tied ourselves together and put the costume on. Big problem. We'd always tested it in a lit room and could see through the fabric quite well, so we didn't bother with any eye holes. Outside in the yard, it was dark, and we were completely blind. The girl in front lifted the costume over her head and quietly directed us in our shuffle. Forward, forward, left a little, forward, steps coming up, step one, step two. Finally, we reached the front door. She dropped the sheet back down and rang the doorbell. When the hostess entered the door, we surged in as we'd practiced, waving our arms all over. We agreed beforehand that none of us would talk to enhance the mysteriousness of our costume and probably for some to avoid the embarrassment of being associated with the rest of us in this cockamamie getup. We were a hit. Everyone was trying to guess who we were as we wandered from room to room. Unfortunately, with a lack of eye holes came a lack of mouth holes, and as soon as we got to the refreshments, by mutual unspoken agreement, the costume went flying. <laughs> Thank Doug. you so much, Doug. Thank you, Doug. It seems like it's universal. You don't want to be recognized on Halloween. It is true. Yeah. I've also heard another really good cheap costume is to just to wear a slip and write the word Freudian on it. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's a good one. Thank you for giving me a clue for next year. <laughs> Previously on Stranger Garden Things. Just wait right here by this compost pile, Rhubarb. I'll be right back. Please don't leave me alone, Christy. It feels strange here. Ah! Rhubarb! Rhubarb! Barb! 
now, Stranger Garden Things. Barb, where are you? Thanks for helping me search for rhubarb, Edith. Where are we? Your garden is all upside down. Even though this garden contains the same locations and infrastructure of your garden, it is much darker, colder, and obscured by an omnipresent fog while ash-like spores drift through the air. It appears we have slipped down a portal into an alternate dimension. Ooh, check out how everything is overgrown with ropey root-like tendrils and biological membranes covering practically every surface. It all feels strange, Christy. I'm scared. Let's get out of here. But we have to find my rhubarb. I don't like that strange-looking compost pile. Oh, no. What is that strange thing sitting on top of it? Barb? No. Oh, it's just a spaghetti squash. The seeds must have germinated because the compost pile wasn't hot enough because you haven't turned it in a year. Wait, look over there. That thing is even stranger. With all this fog and ash-like spores, I can't tell. What is that stranger thing? It appears to be a very, very large zucchini. This is what happens when you don't harvest zucchini in time. Zucchini is best harvested when the fruit is about six inches long. If left unharvested, zucchini squash will easily reach... Oh my gourd! It sees us! Run! Wait! What about me? Sorry, rhubarb. Normally we don't mind things upside down, but this is all just too strange. Look! Neat sugar. Edith, when you told this story last year, it just gave me the heebie-jeebies. So I think we should listen to it again. Because I need more heebie-jeebies. Who doesn't love the heebie-jeebies? Or at least to say the word heebie-jeebie. I have a sister named Dagmar, who was actually born on Halloween. And uh, she lives in Tampa. I hadn't seen her for a couple of years, and I got a job working at uh, the Comedy Works in Tampa. And she goes, if you're going to come to Tampa, you have got to come and meet my new my partner, Hamid. He's from Iran. They are really into family. He really wants to meet you. He wants to cook you a feast. Because uh-huh. that's what they do. And I said, well, I kind of like a feast. Sure. You know, when you're on the road, you pretty much eat crap. Mm. So I go over to their house. And Hamid opens the door, and he is the most charming, nice man, you know, and so welcoming. That's the first thing I noticed. The second thing I noticed was the unbelievably wonderful smells. Oh, my goodness. He made bread. He made Iranian bread, that flat bread that they make. Oh, yeah. And this meat stew, wonderful smell was coming through. The third thing I noticed was a clicking sound, a rhythmic Click, 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 click. And I'm like, that's weird. And it never stopped. It was always exactly the same. Click, 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 click. And I thought, well, hmm, maybe it's a strange clock. I don't know. So we walk through the kitchen to go to the pool. And on the stove is a very large pot. And sticking out from under the lid were teeth. Were, what? Were what? An animal skull. Skull. The skull. Oh. Yeah. Not okay. <laughs> <laughs> the 
still a skull is creepy too. Well, okay, uh, that's what it was. It was the animal's teeth oh, chattering because it was boiling. Yeah. And I like I look and I'm like, okay, keep you calm, keep calm. It's like goat's head soup, like uh-huh, the roll. I'm like, sure. okay, yeah, I'm good yeah. with this. I'm fine. Yeah. We go back and we sit by the pool, and Hamid brings out um, beautiful herbs and olives and cheeses, and I'm like, this is wonderful. This is so great. And then he says, dinner's ready, and he serves us, and he serves us this amazing-looking stew. I don't know, Christy, if it was goat or lamb. I don't know what it was. And then he says, now, because you're a guest, you get the best part. And Dagmar's looking at me like with these big eyes, like, and he puts two eyeballs on my plate. Two eyeballs. (laughs) No. (laughs) I was raised, you know, a Slavic dad and a German mom. And when you don't eat at somebody's house, you offend them deeply. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so this is why Dagmar was staring at me. She knew this was coming. So I said, this is so great. Um, Hamid, surely you'll have this one of these eyeballs. I couldn't eat two eyeballs. You could do one. <laughs> I could do one. To be polite. Yeah. So he said, okay. So he and they were a, cooked, right? Cooked eyeballs. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They okay. were cooked. They were cooked. He said it was the most tender part of the animal. So I thought maybe if I slice it, and it won't look like an eyeball anymore. So I sliced uh-huh. it. Yeah. But then you know what it reminded me of? That short film by Salvador Dali. Have you seen it where the eyeball is sliced? No, but I'm using my imagination, Edith. Uh-huh. It's a French. It was more horrifying than if you just would have popped it in your I mouth. I just should have popped it because that's what popped into my mind. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and I ate it. Yeah. I did. I ate you. the eyeball. I think I would have eaten the eyeball, too. You know, it's 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 in your head that it's so horrible, right? Yeah, it's just in our head. Yeah, yeah. But it but it would have been hard. It was not easy, I must say. And uh, the meal was amazing. It was a really nice, nice evening, and it was a great. It's a great memory now. When you have to eat the eyeball, that's the moral. That's a that's a good one too. When you have to, you eat the eyeball. Yes, <laughs> I actually should ask for for his recipe of whatever he made that day, because it was really good. It is now time for some spooky inspiration. (laughs) Here's one. You ready? Yes. (laughs) All the candy corn that was ever made was made in 1911. Louis Black. That is so funny. And it's so true. Yeah. You know, there are people who really like candy corn. Not me. Oh, no. Would you like some more inspiration, Edith? Oh, I'd love some more. This is by Charles S. Swartz. I bet living in a nudist colony takes all the fun out of Halloween. (laughs) Again, Edith, nobody likes to be recognized. I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I recognize that mole. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that was a fun Halloween episode. Thank Thank you, everybody, for listening. We are Edith Weiss and Christy Montour Larson. And if you got some laughs and some value out of our special, could you do us a favor? 
Hit the subscribe, like, or follow button wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes such a big difference for us. Thank you so much to Denise Gentilini for composing and performing the Upside Down Tulips theme song and all the variations. <laughs> if you want to hear more of Denise's wonderful music, go to denisegentilini.com or you can find that link at UpsideDownTulips.com. And thank you to our kind friends and talented actors, Bill Hahn, Jason Maxwell, Billy McBride, Michael Morgan, and Karen Slack. And thank you to our spooky and mysterious engineer. Special thanks to our local nursery and friend of the show, Southwest Gardens. Join us next week for a brand new episode that will amaze and delight you. Now don't forget, if you make a mistake, your garden will forgive you. Upside down, oh, yeah.